welcome to the West Country Rivers Trust Compliments Podcast with your host, Hayley Pavis. On today's episode of the podcast, we will be speaking to Lily Kandika. Lily has devoted her life's work to helping people in tackling inequality, with her latest venture being Head of Operations for Black to Nature, a charity that's aimed at connecting VME communities with blue and green spaces. Now, Lily will mention the term VME a lot throughout this episode, and this stands for Visible Minority Ethnic. By exploring the intentions of the charity and the barriers that exist for minority groups when it comes to nature and the environmental sector, we will also find ourselves discussing Lily's personal journey into the natural world as an urbanite who is slowly but surely discovering the joys of rivers. Hello Lily, hi. Hi Hayley, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It really is an honour to have you. Um, so you're currently working for an incredibly important cause, which is to connect people with nature and especially those minority groups that often have less access to green spaces. So that's going to really be the focus of this podcast because I'm so keen to learn more about what you're doing in that sector at the moment and then also to explore kind of your relationship with nature and freshwater environments. But um, I'm going to start off by hearing a little bit more about the organisation you're currently working for. So can you tell me a little bit about your role in Black to Nature and why the organisation has been created? Well, I'm head of operations for Black to Nature and I work part time and I've got the lead for equality and diversity and inclusion within my role. Um, Black to Nature was set up in 2015 by, by Maya Rose Craig, who's a dual heritage British Bangladeshi young woman. She was 13 then. She's now, at, she's now 21 at studying social anthropology at Cambridge University. So she used to go into nature with her family because they were twitchers, bird watchers. And when she went out there, she noticed that there's no visible minority ethnic people like herself there. She spoke to her parents and she wanted to do something. So because they camped a lot, she thought the easiest thing would be to organize a camp. And she did that. And what she found was BME children did not sign up or did not want and did not no, did not naturally want to come. So she then her mother then basically talked to a few friends of the families um, and they then sent their children. So the kids went and they found that the kids weren't really that interested. They didn't, they didn't see the relevance of it and they weren't really engaged. And most of the kids who BME children who did come were all um, boys. So when the, one of the people was then talking about peregrine falcons and then relating, mm-hmm. comparing it to a Formula One cars, then it made them understand or could link to it, if that's the right word. You know, they could see the relevance and importance so yeah, so you know, so we take so what we do is we have um, four main areas. One is that we do camps. We do about twelve to fifteen camps a year, and we take about thirty children, and the children range ages range from eight to twelve, then thirteen to eighteen, and we do this to take kids into nature. For a lot of these kids are inner city um, BME children who have very little. Ex- what well, little or no experience on nature and they live in a, most of them live in the most deprived wards in Bristol so they're from single parent households low-income families and they live in social um, housing especially in flats in Bristol and they basically when they come they and also all our activities are free we fundraise so we don't want money to be a barrier for our young people we also then campaign in terms of um, just um working with organizations like in the within the environmental sector 
for them to understand the why BME people aren't going into nature and also not getting jobs within the environmental sector, but also what they can do to encourage BME people to go into nature. We also hold other activities like day trips and things for families, again, um, going into nature. For a lot of our families, these day trips or will be the only holiday or activity they can afford to do. And we also do a lot of um, partnership working with other mm -hmm. organisations. Wow, that is, sounds amazing. You definitely do a whole lot of, of different approaches to kind of uh, make sure that people are getting out to nature. And you've touched on a lot of topics there. I'm going to start with um, you talking about how some of the children come along and aren't initially interested because they haven't been exposed to nature yet and that you find ways uh, to make it really relatable to them and cool and do, do you find this kind of approach works do you see the same children coming back and getting more and more interested and in developing more of a kind of consideration and care for the environment once you make it appeal to them yes I mean first of all it takes time you know because of mm -hmm. like you know, if I take each little group it makes it easier to explain so what we find with a lot of the children is that because their families, I said mentioned low income, but also a lot of their families work antisocial hours. You know, you talk about cleaners or in the catering industry, fast food, taxi drivers. So a lot of them, the parents don't have the money or the time to actually take them out into nature. They might go to a local park and usually what they find, you'll find that they're going to the park about four o'clock, five o'clock, just as white families are going home kind of thing so mm -hmm. so their contact with nature is very minimum and they don't see it as relevant to their lives so when we take them and then what we find is the parents don't I won't always say frightened but don't always feel that um, nature or the British nature is for them or they don't see you know or they don't see the importance of nature in their lives because a lot of them are from rural background but they see nature as employment it's a bit like farming you know it's not there just to go out mm -hmm. and look at a tree or a flower you use nature you or you grow animals on it so it has a purpose so what we find is that we have to it takes time like we do with the younger children for example we do day trips you know because a lot of parents don't send their children don't send their children onto camp straight away because they have they have to uh, have confidence in what we do as an organization they need to have confidence in us that we will look after their children you know, as well as treating the, you know, um, feeding them culturally appropriate food and looking after their, um, the, um, we aren't a religious organization, we're neutral, but we understand a lot of parents have religious needs. So we, they appreciate that we understand those needs when we take their kids out. So there's no, for example, mm -hmm. all our food is vegetarian, culturally appropriate, but vegetarian and halal within that. So they know their kids aren't going to be put, fed. They don't have to worry about their kids being fed pork or beef or something or they know that you know that's why we do vegetarian food we also um costing to go out into nature is expensive a lot of these places don't have bus routes and if you've got four or five children it's, it's expensive to go out anyway kind of thing and also what we come recently is food poverty has become a big issue we feed our children because a lot of kids like you know we get a lot of teenage boys coming and they are hungry because their parents mm -hmm. cannot afford to feed them four or five plates of food for every sitting. You know how teenage boys, they can eat you out of house and home when they're growing. Yeah. So, our, so a lot of our boys, they come and they're hungry. And we basically have a lot of food and we basically say, eat. Don't be so shy. You know, if you want to have, if you want to eat as much as you want. And also if you want to take a doggy bag home, you're more than welcome to because the food's going to be wasted anyway. And all, But what we're finding recently is that 
a lot of kids are asking for extra food to take home for their siblings. Right. Which is quite interesting. And we got funding to do extra food. Like before we just used to day, let's say day trip, we would only do lunch. Now we're doing breakfast and dinner for the children. Yeah, and it's become a big issue now. And, you know, we had one child recently, we took them out. We had we have relationships with different restaurants. And we went to an Indian restaurant and this child had half a nan left over. No, no, not a lot. But they're saying that, oh, can I take her home for my mum? She's going to come home late, you know, and she's not going to have time to eat or cook. You know, it will give her something to eat. You know, what can you say to that? You know, it's heartbreaking. We play a big role. And I have to say this, we hit above our weight. We're a very small organisation. I'm part-time and we have one other full-time person. We are dependent on volunteers and a, a few sessional staff. But, you know, we, but we are it and we, you know, and we offer everything free. Like I said before, we don't want make money be a barrier for our young people yeah. to come or the families to send their children. We don't even ask for a deposit. You know, COVID hit yeah. us like many organisations hard. We lost our momentum. It's only now, I would say, we've got back to where we were pre-COVID. So, mm-hmm. you know, most of our trips, activities are fully booked. You know, we do all kinds of different thing, things from surfing camps to day trips of families, we do um, normal camps. So, you know, we do um, tree planting days. So we do all kinds of things that we try to meet different wants and needs, if I say it like that. So kids have a different variety of activities and somebody might be interesting. Mm. Um, you know, I'll talk about late, rivers later, but it's again, it's interesting. It never clicked my mind as an urban person that nature included water <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> interesting yeah it's it's funny from this angle when that is kind of the you know the whole focus of everyone kind of who I uh, know from the charity so it's interesting that you say that and is it something you become more aware of in working in this sector then and kind of the joys of the freshwater environment as well it has you know and again I'm you know I'm going to be honest our work with rivers has only recently started but our work with water if I say it like that, has, you know, it's been going on for about two years that we got into partnership with, with the Royal, Royal Yacht Association to um, run sailing classes in Bristol, in the river. And, you know, I think it's a harbour side in Bristol. And we yeah. had, we took 10 children, you know, they did level one and level two RSA um, qualification, sailing qualification. Um, each, it was two lots of weekends and each week together it would have cost £500. You know, average person, yeah. average families can't afford that. But, you know, but for the other the four our families we work with, you know, that's a dream kind of thing. We were given 10 spaces, but we had another 10 or 15 children as a backup, you know, on a waiting list to go on. Mm-hmm. So, we're hoping, so we're hoping to run some more in the future. You know, we're talking to RSA whether we can maybe go up to Lake District where they got, we can maybe hold a camp and do a session there. We've held two um, sailing girls only surfing camps well one surfing camp for girls only and one day trip to the wave in bristol in terms of oh surfing. yeah and we've also done what we've we done and when we did the surfing camp we actually looked at and um, we talked about pollution in the sea because you know Very that's a big yeah. issue for us you know like like i said we don't do river trips so much but we are aware of pollution and that's you know how that's affecting wildlife um, and also how people use the water. So we talk mm-hmm. to the children or we get people to come and talk to them for them to understand what's happening and why, how it affects them. But I think that's the main thing for us is, is making it real. 
yeah definitely it sounds like yeah it's a very enjoyable experience where they get fed and watered and have loads of fun but also you're kind of slowly introducing really big important concepts like um yeah pollution in rivers and um kind of climate change and sustainability and do you find that over time these children um start kind of saying things like oh I'd, I'd love when I'm older to to work to help prevent that or stop this or that happening do you, do you see kind of them maybe shaping their future around some of the things that they've learned on your um trips what we've got is interesting we've got two young lads who basically came on that very first camp I talked about in 2015 and they basically volunteer for us now you know one's at university so he said basically he's got this year you know a summer 2024 he can give us but after that he's, he's basically he's a trainee he's, a, he's at medical school so basically after that he's in a hospital so he said he won't, he won't be able to give us time for a couple of years but you know he basically he's one and we have another young man he's um he's a bit a little bit younger he's at college so again the, you know he's another volunteer who, who I would say have come through the system if I say it like that mm-hmm. and then we have some other children who who are now who come on a regular basis um like we had one child we got to say that you know he basically he was forced to come and you know like many of our children he, you know and he was the why 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 and he came and he saw the trees and I think he was suffering from depression as one of the reasons his mother wanted him to come on the camp and basically what he said to us was I just feel so small and insignificant when I come on these camps especially when I'm surrounded by big trees it just feels makes my worries seem nothing Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, you know, that is one effect of nature, I think, is just yes. putting things in perspective sometimes and calming you, finding solace kind of thing. It is. And also peace and, you know, and also making and because one of the things that we do is we try to bring we try to build physical and mental resilience for our young people. So we're not automatically expecting them to become great nature lovers, but we but we are finding a lot of them are appreciating nature or doing things that they've never done before. Like We do a lot of tree planting days. We did last year, mm-hmm. we did um, four. We're hoping to do six this um, between January and March. And then we're, because that's the season, but also we do care, tree caring days. You know, we just finished one um, about a week or so back. We go look after the trees. So you've got kids who planted the trees. They come back in a year, you know, nearly a year. And they look at this tree that's grown or whatever, or they look at trees which have died. And it's kind of, they find out why, you know, and then, Again, we you know, work in partnership with different organisations and local farmers and all this kind of stuff. So it's actually, you know, sorry, I'm repeating myself, but it's actually getting the kids to, it's not always moving on with it, if that makes sense, or keeping in touch, but it's actually appreciating and benefiting from nature. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like personal benefits mm-hmm. to physically, mentally, um, and just understanding yeah. the importance of it in their everyday life, in the food yeah. they eat. Uh, the sports they do the yeah, I think it's... because we did a fashion sorry because all these little things come to mind like we did a fashion competition yeah. with uwe recently university of west of england where we had young people design upcycle outfits we got children to upcycle outfits from sharis because they're meters of the five meters by one meter long piece of cloth so basically mm-hmm. a lot of these sharis get old because they're all clothes as fashion and all age or whatever and we got young people as part of sustainable fashion week last september we got kids to actually do design clothes which were then made up and they then participated in cat talk with these clothes nice 
no that's amazing and um touching on something you said earlier and following on from my last question about whether people show interest of like taking it forward even if that's not like the end goal um you know what there's obviously some barriers that must exist for minority groups going into the environmental sector because of the sheer fact that there is such a low representation of them in the um environmental sector at the moment i think i read some stats that like just 4.8 of environmental professionals have um are of an ethnic minority and i was just wondering if we could talk a little bit about from your experience um why that might be what the main barriers are and how um it can be improved i mean it used to be 0.06 sorry 0.6 percent less than one percent a few years back and it's now gone up you mentioned four percent it's now gone up to seven i think the new data i'm trying to find out okay check but i want to double check, but i'm wanting to double check with, do they have ethnic breakdown within those figures because that that mm-hmm. means everybody who's non white you know so that could be any you know yeah. that could be somebody's polish if that makes sense so mm-hmm. sometimes you know we have to be you know for us we want to look at the data and analyze it a bit more there's two sides and i always say this to people one is the organizations what they're doing or not doing encouraging people into nature but also we um what can we do with families or the young people themselves to for them to be interested in nature i mean first of all in terms of organization like for example we once worked with the organization they came to us and they had this job where it was for a just if it was for a, um an a-level student somebody's passed their a-level and it was a junior accounts clerk post and one of the essential criteria was a passion for nature you know and we said to them that's a barrier straight away because if you if you're looking for office space person mm-hmm. you should build that passion for them once you inc- you know once you include employ somebody with your work with your offers and whatever you know you should then build that passion by having by expecting that passion before they even started you you know you're automatically you're cutting people off who've never gone into nature who yeah haven't had the opportunity to yeah, never had opportunity never been interested in all the all the different variations of that so we were yeah interesting and then you have to look at why don't they because a lot of these nature organizations in the countryside are based or they have their head offices in the you know are quite rural often so a lot of our bme people again i'm stereotyping here are urban people you know i'm not saying that organizations suddenly have offices in cities but again that can be a barrier so what you know, but there are still people who live in the countryside, or it might be good transport links, or what can you give? What support can you give people to make it worth the while to work for you in a positive way? You know, whether it's training, support, career progression, and things like that. And the other side is also, yeah, and the other side is parents or young people themselves. A lot of our children, their parents are immigrants. You know, they work hard, they work long hours for little pay if I say it like that you know usually you know mm-hmm. so as a result for them they see education and a good job as a way out of poverty for them they have no concept of what an environmental job is you know so for yeah. them they want their kids to have a professional job mainstream you know not even nature you know you talk about people who want their kids to be oh I don't know geography or something like that even then it seems a bit weird to a lot of our you know I would say BME parents for them, it's still traditional because it's lots of one is income, one is prestige, but it's also job security. We want accountants, lawyers, you know, doctors, engineers, all the traditional professional jobs. 
because their point of view is we worked hard, we don't want our children to work hard and suffer like we do if possible. You know, not everybody's coming from the same ability range or whatever. So then what happens is you then have to work with parents to tell them these kind of jobs even exist that they may not even know of. You know, they may not know that there's an you know, environmental job or water. You know, for example, your kind, you know, your organization, the River Organization. So people don't know what kind of jobs there are available. And they've never thought about it. They never thought about it for A-levels. You know, so it's kind of, are they doing the right subjects? Are they, you know, to go into that field? The parents worry, will they be able to get a job? What would be the salary like? Will they be able to afford, you know, a house, rent, whatever? So all these normal concerns that most parents have, you know, all parents have these kind of concerns for their children, but it's magnified with the other barrier of racism, discrimination, and personal experiences of uh, of that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And conservation and environmental jobs um, often aren't highly paid. You often have to do lots of volunteering and get lots of kind of experience that you pay for or you work for free to get. Mm. And I think that is definitely, definitely a barrier for people who can't really afford to be working for no money for kind of any amount of time. So, um, yeah, I suppose just... It's a barrier for, you know, it's a barrier for low-income people, full stop. You know, you're talking about yeah. white working class people. But, you know, but if you have traditionally BME families, you know, again, maybe have larger families and things. But it seems like, like you mentioned it there, they may not have the right clothes. They cannot afford it. You know, we provide mm-hmm. our young people when they come warm coats. You know, we've got um, donations from um, North Face. <laughs> These are um, waterproof, nice. very, um, very warm coats. <laughs> but they're quite large they were, we were kind of given not adult but you know i mean teenage you know ad, you know let's say 16 year old sizes so we got eight-year-olds mm-hmm. wearing them and you know a bit like those blazers that you buy for kids you'll you grow into it kind of thing so you know they're wearing them because they're waterproof and warm but it's hanging down from their hands kind of thing so we got lovely sweet photos but they're bright yellow and we do think we, we know when we first saw them we say oh our kids aren't going to want to wear them but you know, but we said thank you to North North Face, of course. You know, we, you know, but it's kind of nope. They're bright yellow. We can't lose our children then. At least you know, we yeah, them in a distance for a lesson yellow. You know, but yeah, clothes, Wellington boots. We provide this. We provide jumpers. Comf- you know, very privately, we, we provide warm clothes to the families mm. we work with because we lot the families. We've got good relationships and we know they're in need. We also yeah. to, uh, very quickly again. We've got we do we've got partnership with the organization where we provide recycled laptops and hard drives, you know, computers. You know, we've got cases where four or five children have been sharing a laptop to do homework. You can imagine the pressures and things. So we were able to give one family, you know, one family, we gave them them three laptops and a tablet for the younger brother who's got autism. You know, and that's just one example. We've got, you know, know, we've given away about 50 laptops so far. But all this makes a difference because if you're then able to do work, homework, do well in academically or just get on with life well, it gives people options. They don't feel so down physically and mentally, you know, and they feel they've got choices in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's all those things you don't think about if you if you grow up somewhere around nature, you kind of, yeah. Mm. It, you, you assume that you're just going to have the, the right clothing or some binoculars so you can enjoy mm. the birds or whatever. But um, yeah, coming from an urban environment, it's be I guess very normal to not have access to those to that equipment. Um, so yeah, that that is yeah really amazing that you provide that for them as well. Um, 
So you're you're based in Bristol. That's right. Um, and where do you take them out to normally? How far into the West Country do you come? Just trying to kind of figure out the crossover between kind of area that we work in and the area where you work. Well, with the eight to um, 12 year olds, we don't go very far. We try to stay within an hour of Bristol. The reason for that is a lot of the parents are just concerned. I would, you know, I don't use the word worried, but they're concerned and they don't want the children too far. So if anything goes wrong, they know that they can come running or we can take the children back. But with primary, with secondary age children, we take, we go about two and a half hours outside of Bristol. So we go to Black Mountains, um, to um, Dartmoor, to um, New Forest, just outside of Exeter Way as well. You know, me, uh, not men, men dips as well. You know, so we go mm. quite far, but we don't want to spend too much time traveling. We want to use the time doing our activities, like our nature walks, um, the um, well, what we, we do bat bat watching, bird ringing, all kinds of different activities, to make it enjoyable. So we don't want to spend too much time um, traveling, kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. So I think you know, I don't think we come. We I've actually we you know, I think North New Forest is below you. If, from memory I'm very bad with geography so again I think we pass North, yeah. we pass Dorset on the way you know so nice. we always look for partners you know just to say that if anybody wants to host us or would like to fund us or work in partnership with us we're always looking for partners to work yeah with. I mean I'm sure we would be very interested so <laughs> that would be really really cool to explore that in the future um and bringing it back to rivers a little bit mm. um out of the activities you do, what kind of freshwater environments do you visit? Do you find that the kids are uh, interested in that kind of area of conservation? Uh, or do you have plans to kind of do do more in terms of... I, I read that you do things like pond dipping, even that kind of stuff, yes. or like them getting the ice creams by the lake. I even remember you saying that. And whilst it's not, you know, maybe like interacting with the freshwater environment, it's still creating a nice memory... It is. I mean, it, so yeah, you know, the same as we want to do, and can you know, but a limit to what we can do, you know, and it's like, for example, when we did the surfing camp, we also went. Um, what's it called when you go onto rock? When you go into water, there's rocks where you have water. Rock pooling. That's it. And we actually got the kids to actually see what they could. We had a little laminated sheet of things that they might find, and we tried to get the kids to mark off what they did find kind of thing right. so yeah. it's, I mean so we are wanting to do a bit more water but I think what it is is that in ourselves we're not that experienced in it if I say it like that you mm -hmm. know so we, whoever we work with has to have that experience and we uh, and it's an area that we're thinking about but haven't had the time to go that now I mentioned sailing and I mentioned this, um, surfing you know and, mm -hmm. uh, and the rock pools now and and we're just one of the surfing camp was in Woolacum, you know, Crude Bay, Coyd Bay, at this Woolacum. But you know, so rivers are something we want to work with. But you know, somebody's invited us, I think, to go to a river and maybe help uh, with the older children in particular to look at what we can do to help um, clean up or something in the rivers and things like that. But for us, it's another health and safety because you know, again, depending on the age, is another responsibility for us. So we just have to have the right partnerships and the right volunteers, the right or the right you know people to de deliver that kind of work. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm intrigued to just hear a little bit about your relationship with nature after talking um, about all of that. Um, is this something that you're on a journey with the 
organization you're finding out more about nature more about rivers or is it something you've always been interested in what's your kind of journey um, in that very, sense it's very much a journey for me I am a total urbanite I like my street lighting I find myself even in the Chew Valley Lake is only about 40 maximum 40 minutes outside of Bristol that's why we take the young primary kids when I go there especially in winter it's kind of, oh god it's countryside oh scary you know I, so I'm you know I'm new to it I'm I've always loved trees I gotta say that I've always go back to what that young person said I've always felt like that when I'm next to a big tree I feel as though I'm just you know I can just feel myself relaxing mentally so I'm I've got I've, I've worked again it's interesting but I've worked on environmental projects with my professional hat because I'm, I'm, my background is quality diversity and project management in the, in the public sector. So I've worked on environmental EU projects. It, one in particular was the energy efficiency project. But in my mind, it never clicked. It, even though I knew it was an environmental energy saver, it never clicked that it was a nature organization, no, nature work, if that makes sense. In my mm-hmm. mind, it was public sector. And, you know, I just kind of got on with it if that makes it, never got to that level. So I've been working with Black Nature, which I've been doing for now, um, for about 18 months altogether in different capacities. I've learned a lot. I'm still learning. I've still got a lot to learn. I think my passion is there in, you know, and up in some, most of the areas. I'm not going to say agree with, I understand, I'm not saying agree, but I, I totally understand all of the areas, but I'm learning. You know, so. I don't think anyone ever really does. That's the thing. You always have this idea that if someone's working in it, they know everything. But really, people specialise. They have the area, and there's there's too much to know. So don't worry about knowing everything. <laughs> so you know, so it's you know, it, yes, but very much it's a learning curve for me. And again, I got you know, like my chair is quite funny because I'm not a camper by nature. You know, I do like my hotels with my ensuite bathroom kind of thing yeah but I have been told that I have to you know I've been told by chat I have to go on a camp at least once a year to keep you know how can I sell camps if I never do go on myself kind of thing and I remember the yeah. first time I went because what we again for health and safety we have an adult perk in the tent with each with you know with the children with the young people so I was in the girls tent and I went in I had my my king size duvet and everything and I, and I found that the girls had made up my mattress for me I thought, oh how sweet how nice you know I was near the door for you know for safety as we and then I fell asleep and as it as it happens in night, all mattresses deflate kind of thing so when I woke up my mattress was flat and I had a backache and I couldn't understand how come I, my mattress was so lumpy kind of thing it turned out that they put my mattress over their shoes oh no <laughs> yeah not a good night's sleep (laughs) you know but I went there I did it you know so I do go kind of thing and I I'm not saying it's not for me but it's still not what I would do with my own time and money if I say like that but I but but I appreciate the importance of it for us yeah definitely because for us it's not even the camping in itself because we do go to some places that have the chalets and stuff like that but what it is, when they're in the tents, they help put up the tents sometimes. They help put away the tents. So it's an activity that, they, again, they would not have experienced kind of thing. But if we just go to a chalet, the bed's made up. You know, everything is kind of going for house to a house. So they're not yeah. experiencing something different outside their mm-hmm. comfort zone. Yeah, and it's life skills as well, isn't yeah, it? Being able to survive. Nice. Then. Yeah. Because they, you know, we yeah. do sports and all that. But also we get the kids, you know, we have our main food. But also we do, again, on the where we go. One place in particular, Langerford Farm, near just outside of, um, um, I think is 
uh, just outside of Exeter, they got a kitchen area. So we get people to come and do cooking classes with them, but using um, seasonal vegetables, you know, seasonal food. Mm -hmm. so cook it and they share it among themselves, yep. you know, so that this, that's their dinner for them. Like, but their experience, yeah. they may not have done. But also these people who are coming teaching them are talking about what they're eating, how it's grown, learning about you know, sustainability, food, um, pesticides and in the natural growth and all that kind of stuff so it's you know so you know um, how global warming is affecting lives and other people in other countries you know a lot of our children are from families i've got you know from people who've got families back home i use the word back home let's say pakistan bangladesh sudan somalia and what, caribbean so global warming is having big effects on their family members you know mm. the floods in pakistan and bangladesh recently where a lot of people got affected a lot of people kids who came they have family members who got affected you know so you know there's the troubles in Sudan recently we got a lot of internal migration or ref internal refugees <clears throat> so a lot of children are worried about their families but they know by going from having to leave their let's say land where they might be growing you know going into a refugee camp or going somewhere there's no food how that affects them or worries them it gets them to think about what kind of how the world has to be looked after yeah yeah definitely that's such yeah an important point and kind of yeah finding again linkages between how the environment links to maybe yeah their heritage and what's going on in uh, the country where their family are from an example for example um yeah that all sounds amazing I think it's almost unfortunately time to wrap up the interview but we've spoken about some amazing things it's been really good to hear about your organization and kind of how we could support minority groups in the environmental sector and your journey into nature um, and I hope that your your journey continues and that you get to spend more time by rivers and start to fall in love with them and alongside with all the kids that you're taking out but um yeah, it's been really inspirational hearing about it all. And I just wanted to thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. And like I said, if you do have any work, you know, any ideas or where we can work with yourself or some of your colleagues on river work, please do get in contact. We are always looking for new partners and new ideas to take our children. Yes, definitely. It's, I mean, it sounds like a great partnership could definitely be formed there. But um, great. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And yeah, good luck with um, Black to Nature and the future of everything. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Bye bye. What an inspiring chat and incredibly important topic to explore. If you'd like to learn more or even get involved in Black to Nature, then head to www.blacktonature.org. Here you'll also find links to all their social media platforms. Now, if this is a cause you care about, then also visit the website to donate. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for future episodes of our Confluence podcast. <laughs>